And so the cuss pot, for me anyway, I have no idea if Jenny intended this, becomes a sort of symbol of, oh, I'm not supposed to swear. I'm, I'm a woman. I mean, do you imagine that the men have a cuss pot? No, of course they don't. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am your host, Jackson Nikolai, and I am flying without Jacob Christensen this week. He is out of town, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm the only one of the two of us here, but we are very excited to have our first guest on the show. Um, I would like to take this opportunity to introduce Karen Baum-Barker. Um, hi, Karen. Hi, Jackson. <laughs> so glad to be doing this. Oh, we're so excited to have you on the show. Um, Karen is a professor of theater at Northwestern College uh, in Orange City, Iowa. So there's your uh, there's a couple Northwesterns out there in the world. Um, you have an M- MFA in acting from Northern, uh, Northern Illinois University, and you're the Dean of Arts as well, Arts and Humanities at Northwestern College, yeah? I am, yep, yep. That's a new position for me. I'm entering my second year of that, so still figuring that one out. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, as as a bit of extra information, she also happens to be my mother-in-law. So I'm very excited to get to uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk with this uh, talk about this play with you. And that is my bit. Yeah, that's my biggest claim to fame, actually. Jackson's mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> Huzzah. <laughs> Huzzah. <laughs> well, we are going to be talking about uh, a play that you know quite well. Actually, I was introduced to this play uh, by you. Um, this is the play Sky Girls by Jenny Laird um, mm-hmm. as a way of doing a little bit of context for this play, which we like to do at the beginning of all of these. Uh, Sky Girls is a play commissioned and uh, produced for the Chicago's Northlight Theater. And it was commissioned in 2003 and performed there for the first time. Jenny Laird wrote the play for them. And then it was produced as well the following year at the Old Globe Theater out in San Diego. So it got its West Coast premiere there. Um, it also, notably, was performed at Northwestern College in 2005. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, this is a play that you know pretty well, yeah? You want to maybe talk a little bit about how you were introduced to the play? Oh, I would love to. Um, Jenny Laird is the playwright of this script, and uh, years ago I was introduced to another play of hers called Ballad Hunter by a mutual friend of, of ours, Kimberly, uh, gave me Ballad Hunter and said, I think you'll like this play, and I think you can do it at Northwestern. So I read that script. That was my first introduction. And then when Jeff and I, my husband Jeff and I, were on a sabbatical in Chicago, we were invited to a Christmas gathering that Jenny was also invited to, and I got to meet her. And I immediately liked her. She is kind and smart and the kind of person that you are drawn to because even on even even an initial introduction to her gives you a taste of how how large her heart is and how authentic a human being she is and 
any anyway, so I, I I liked her immediately, and then a little we I I have emailed Jenny off and on over the the years. That was the only time that I ever was in the same room with Jenny at the same time, and that was a lot of years ago. Then uh, I think I was introduced to the script from Jenny. Actually, it was not uh, published. I think when I first when I first saw it, when I first read it, it is a play with all women, and of course that's very attractive to anybody doing educational theater because uh, theater departments in colleges and universities tend to be full of women and and lack the same number of of men in the the programs. So this is a this is a script for all women and it's it's just a beautiful script which we'll say more about but that was my introduction to the script. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, and it is such a beautiful script. I'm so excited we're getting to talk about it. Uh, we talked about it. What class was it that that you generally teach this script in? Is it Mhm. It I I used Jenny's work in two of my classes, one, and so I'm, I can't remember, honestly, Jackson. It might have been dramatic lit the semester that I teach women playwrights, is what I'm imagining. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's correct. Yep, I think that's where I, I, I interacted with it for the first time was in that class. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a great play, and we do like to do just a little bit of a synopsis at the beginning. First of all, definitely read the play. You'll get a lot more out of this conversation if you have read the play. Otherwise, you can keep listening as well, and we'll give you a short synopsis here at the beginning. Um, this play, Sky Girls, is a play about uh, the women's Air Force service pilots during World War II. This was a, uh, a branch of, hmm, it was more of a civic a civic wing of the army at the time. And uh, 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 Jacqueline Cochran, who is a a real-life figure who appears in this play, um, started this initiative and and tried to get the WASPs, which is the uh, Women's Air Force Service Pilots, so WASP, tried to get them recognized as a military organization through Congress. Um, Much of this play takes place within the five days prior to Congress's vote on that. So the kind of catalyst, the the timer for this play is is that vote as it's coming up. Uh, however, the play focuses mostly on these five pilots within the Wasps. Uh, those uh, five character names that we'll say quite a lot are Lil, Delang, Mags, Breeny, and Bishop. Um, and we'll I, I think one of the first things we'll do is kind of get into those characters, especially because they they make up so much of this play. But uh, throughout the course of the play, they are kind of kind of finishing up their training in the wasps. They're trying to get their their wings or their their certificates of uh, I, I don't know exactly the the correct military term for that, but the uh, the the final permission to to fly as as some of the 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 more mission based things that the wasps do. And just in general, it's a really cool topic. If you want to even just Wikipedia the women Air Force service pilots, the wasps in World War II, it's a great story about so many of the 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 uh, testing of bombers and different types of aircraft in World War II happened with this with this group uh, before they were sent overseas the the wasps would fly the planes so a, a really cool piece of history and uh and that's what this play deals with is these five women who are who are going through that program as the vote is going through congress does that kind of sum it up well enough do you think anything i'm, I'm missing there no that's that sounds great that sounds great 
All right. Um, kind of the first thing I wanted to do was kind of introduce us to the characters. Do you because this is a very character-driven play, in in my opinion. You you really spend a lot of time with these five women. Um, you want to maybe we can maybe trade back and forth if you want to pick one of the ones to introduce. Okay, sure. Uh, Jackson, I'm going to forget where they're from. I just reread this again yesterday, but I'm going to forget where they're from because I think that enters in pretty specifically. Brini is the more naive one of the of the five. I guess I would I would label her that. Is she from Iowa or is she from Tennessee? I think I agree with you. I think. She's from Iowa. Uh, Lil is from Tennessee. Lil's, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. And and uh, what, one of the things I love about Jenny's work is that it's so character and relationship driven. The plays of hers that I have read and loved are very relationship driven. So uh, Brini is is uh, her her trajectory throughout the play is meeting and falling in love with a serviceman. So she we, we watch her do that through the play, but she's uh, pretty naive. Um, all of these women are already pilots when they come into the program. So it's not like they're learning from scratch how to fly. They are already pilots, and, and you get a taste of Brini describing how she fell in love with with flying. Yeah, there's some really great scenes where she's kind of uh, talk. All of the characters have these scenes where they they say why they fell in love with flying to begin with. And uh, one of the the kind of the the big uh, preachers for that is Bishop. And I'll go ahead and introduce Bishop a little bit. Um, Bishop is this. Uh, Kind of, she kind of comes from a almost carny background. Is is kind of what we're left to assume. She flies for, uh, she's a trick flyer for a circus before the war. So she comes in and she's, uh, she loves the sky. She loves to to fly in the planes. And she has the the uh, a game that they all play throughout this this script is this quotes game that basically Bishop wins. Um, <laughs> she has. <laughs> Hundreds, yeah, yeah, hundreds of points more than anyone else in the game, and uh, she quotes uh, Lindbergh and 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 other uh, prominent aviators of the time as this uh, the play takes place in the the age of air when we were you know air forces were really new and all the records were being set. So uh, Bishop kind of serves as the the very uh, knowledgeable one in that respect, and she she's kind of the through line for a lot of the play too, kind of. Uh, with the various events that happen, she is she's a big part of that. Yeah, the quotes. Uh, one of the things that the play does is help you see the mystery and the wonder of flying. Even if you're not, you know, you don't have to be a pilot. You don't have to love flying to get why these women really love what they do. So all of those quotes kind of help us kind of help us do that from the beginning. I mean, they start right, right out of the gate. When we see these women, we, we also hear that sort of wonder and mystery about why, why they fly. Um, DeLang is the quieter one of the five. I think I'll say she is, 
an, another a piece of the relationship with Delang is that she knows a Japanese family that that ended up in one of the camps that the United States devised for our Japanese um, citizens. And, and so we watch her relationship with one of the young men there develop. And, and she's trans, she spends a lot of her time translating. Um, she'll get a, a, she's, she's doing haiku. She's translating haiku, which I find fascinating. Um, trying to translate from the Japanese in into a, an English version of the Japanese haiku. So yeah, there's some really beautiful imagery. I, I think we'll get to that eventually, but the, the haikus she's translating play really poignant parts within the story. I'm excited to kind of mm-hmm. get to them because it's it's hard work translating uh, from Japanese into English, but also a haiku, <laughs> which has syllable restrictions. And so, yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, much right, of the play, right, right. She's, she's doing that. So, and then, of course, Mags is kind of the the loud abrasive, perhaps obnoxious in some scenes character. Um, she is very honest, but also extremely caring of everyone in the group. Um, she is very protective of them and is probably mm-hmm. the one most convicted that of, of the, the, that the wasps should be recognized by the military as a branch of the army. Right. Um, right. So uh, th- throughout the play, she's the one who will speak her mind the most readily amongst the group. Um, she's also the one you you mentioned um, just the uh, how flight is the the thing to be attained, the most worthy goal for these women. Mm-hmm. They uh, they love flying in the air, and Mags or Maggie has the. Um, has the line that is like she compares Greta Garbo, I think, at the time, and she's talking about how Greta mm-hmm. Garbo's mm-hmm. Uh, facial expression is just kind of this deadpan. She winds up, I think, calling her basically a cow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she compares her to a cow. Yeah, and <laughs> and she says that that you know the what what I believe she's saying in that scene is that the allure or the mystifyingness of Greta Garbo is not enough for her. It's kind of fake mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, versus the the uh, m- mystery of the skies. Is that what do, what do you kind of is that kind of feedback to what you were saying a little bit? Yes, absolutely. She says I, I've got the the paragraph here. She's she's describing Greta Garbo and saying. She's got this blank stare that could be saying anything. It could be, um, I'm parched, somebody get me water. She could be thinking, I'll kill myself if you leave. She could be thinking, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that sauerkraut with my sausage. And it's all the same, <laughs> that blank stare, which is why, why she compares it to a cow. She says cows are mysterious if you look at them long enough. Um, but then she says... What I'm saying, Greta Garbo could be a cow for all I care because her blank stare just isn't enough to hang your hat on. As pretty as it might be, it just isn't enough. And DeLang pushes her, isn't enough for what? And she says that anything in life could be more mystifying than this. And the this is them flying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Gorgeous scene, yeah. And... and- the who's left? Oh, we got Lil left, right? Oh, Lil, right. Lil is the the kind of uh, she's a Tennessee, uh, kind of a Southern Belle character almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Hmm. What do we want to say about Lil? Maybe she's kind of the the matriarch of the group. She uh, she she kind of. Uh, takes care of a lot of the different individuals. She definitely takes care of Brini um, before she is going out on her dates. Um, She also kind of runs the swear jar. She runs the the cuss pot. I love the cuss pot. (laughs) Can we talk about the cuss pot? Absolutely. Go for it. (laughs) They have a cuss pot. And whenever anybody swears, they have to put money in the cuss pot. And (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Megs, I think, has a lot of money in the cusp pot. She's one of the ones. Um, yeah, it's. I just think it's a lovely device for because one of the themes of the of the play is also women. Um, boy, this is this is a big thing. So I'm going to synthesize it poorly, probably. But I I hope that we talk about it in in more depth. But it's a it's about women trying to do a thing that men have only done so far, and and so it's sort of this um, this juxtaposition of women trying to be women, what the culture expects of them as women, and then also trying to live in a world that is dominated by men. And so the cuss pot, for me anyway, I have no idea if Jenny intended this, becomes a sort of symbol of, oh, I'm not supposed to swear. I'm I'm a woman. I mean, do you imagine that the men have a cuss pot? No, of course they don't. So, (laughs) but as a woman, I'm not supposed, I'm not supposed to swear. So there's a, there's a sense that the, you know, here's the women trying to, trying to be women and still live in this man's world. And any, anyway, the cuss pot, I think, is a delightful um, addition to the, to the relationships between the, the women. Absolutely. It's kind of one of those, uh, we refer to these uh, a little bit as these kind of po- the power struggle objects within the play. Um, yes, right. <laughs> with the, with the, with uh, certainly uh, Lil has that gravitas necessary in the group to make Mags pay money every time she swears. And Mags swears quite a bit in the play. She winds up she handing does. up yes. quite a bit. Mags, uh, yeah, uh, especially like the the scenes between Mags, Lil, and Brini are kind of where a lot of this uh, this happens. Mags is Irish, and uh, yes. Brini is going out with an Irish uh, uh, soldier, uh, Mike Malloy, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. And um, and it do you what what is your sense of that? I, I I kind of it took me two times through to kind of get a beat on what I think it is. But do you think Mags actually knows Mike Malloy, or just she knows the Mike Malloys of the world? Yeah, that's a good question because at the beginning, when she talks about Mike, it it feels as if she just knows the con- the type. Uh, when, but at the end, when she's inviting, when she she tells Brini she's going to teach her uh, how to how to be with Mike's family, it really sounds as if she knows Mike's family. So I'm not. I'm not actually positive about that. Yeah. Well, well, regardless, she kind of like uh, tries to, uh, Brini comes off as, as maybe this kind of naive a little bit uh, mm-hmm. woman uh, who, who is 
not as accustomed to uh, the Mike Malloy's of the world. So Brini tries to kind of open her eyes to it. And mm-hmm. in the course of those scenes, she and Lil come to come to odds quite a bit um, because Lil is kind of trying to just be supportive of Brini, whereas Mags is maybe trying to make her a, a more of a pragmatist. Yes, yes, right. And Mags has a sense that um, he's, you know, she says more than once, he's, he's going to break your heart. And, and I think they're all aware that for Brini, that's going to be a big thing. She's not experienced with men and, and particularly with hard men. <laughs> and, and, and the sense is that Mike's going to break her heart. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the other women are kind of protective of, of that. Yeah, and then and then that actually just to kind of wrap it around back to the the cuss pot again, that kind of culminates in Mags pushing Brini too far, and <laughs> Brini winds up dumping yeah. her whole coin purse into the cuss jar, just so she says so that there's like collateral. Right, it's it's collateral. <laughs> Brini doesn't swear, but when she she gets pushed in by by what these women are trying to tell her about being in a relationship with a man like like Mike, and she just. She kind of loses it and swears once, and and Lil tells her she owes money, and so she goes and gets her whole coin purse, dumps it in, says it's for the swearing she knows she's going to be doing in the future. <laughs> well, as, as a way of kind of maybe transitioning into that larger theme of these women trying to uh, break into the army, which is a, as a dominant man's world at the time, um, let's introduce kind of the final character who has... Uh, who comes up within the course of the play in a couple of different capacities, and that's Jacqueline Cochran. Right. She is the uh, the actual historical figure within the play. Much mm-hmm. of her time is spent uh, not necessarily on stage, unless uh, it, you you could choose how to do this. The uh, the play is broken up by a bunch of these uh, TV announcer voices. Actually, Jackson, it would have been uh, movies, right? Yeah, you would have. It would have been those. Uh... Because it's the 1940s, they it would have been when you go to see a movie, you get a newsreel first of how the the war is doing, and it would have been that. Yep. Yes, yes, that's a good point. Yeah, they were. It was the you know kind of video announcers, and uh, you can imagine the propaganda films of the time for uh, people <laughs> yeah. being aware of what was going on. Yep. Um, yep. And and. Uh, Jackie or Jacqueline Cochran, uh, the script, uh, her name is uh, Jackie in the script, but um, she is in Congress most of the time. So uh, right. however you decide to portray those scenes, she has a lot of lines throughout the play, but for the most part, she is speaking to the congressman mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. these uh, film reels until uh, the end of the play, which uh, uh, we'll, we'll get to eventually where she actually kind of comes comes into the scenes a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what the... This is a big tension throughout the play, right? Is is right. is their fight against against Congress and against the army in general? Right. the The sort of overriding arc of the play is this fight for Congress to give. Actually, the the military asked for the women to be allowed to be part of the military. The military itself is asking for this. And um, the general that, that is talked about in the script is the general that, that that's a real person too. 
the and Congress has been giving the military what they ask for. We're fighting a war, so they if the military asks for it, Congress gives it to them for the most part. But this one thing they're asking for, and Congress does not give them this. And in fact, just as a side note, it was 1977. So what would that be? 33 years after that, we um, a- afterwards, the, un- before the wasps were actually um, given the the what's the word that I'm looking for? Given uh, the re- retroactively activated, I think. Okay. Yes retroactively activated as as part of the military with military with all of the um, honors and privileges that go with being part of the military so it took all of that time and uh, Cochran really did her best to to get the the men in Congress it would it would have been all men then but one of the things you know the propaganda machine said things like, they're taking 30,000 um, jobs away from men. Well, there were only 1,000 women to begin with, so they weren't taking 30,000 jobs away from men. Right. Uh, they were, they were the, what, the work that the women was, was doing, that, that work actually helped, helped more men be able to fight on the continents where we were fighting because the women didn't go off our continent. They, they simply helped train the men who were going over there. They, for example, would fly uh, an airplane with a, with a banner behind it as target practice. The men would, their target practice would be the banner behind them, even though from time to time the, the plane got shot too because it is target practice after all. So the women were actually in very dangerous situations. They were, um, they were, they were uh, flying the airplanes so that the airplanes would be fit for the men to, to fly and for the, for the men to do their work. So anyway, uh, Cochran said what, what she told Congress was that if they didn't vote yes on this particular vote, if they didn't allow the women to be part of the military, that she was going to shut the whole thing down. And she had the authority to do that because it was just a civil or organization. And, and they voted no, and she shut it down. So the women, we see the women at the end of the play, are that vote has happened, and they're all leaving to go wherever it is that they're going to go after after this, go back home or go marry Mike Malloy or yep. whatever they're they're gonna do. So they didn't. It was 1977 before the United States acknowledged them as part of the military. Mm-hmm. And throughout the play, this uh, you know, the, there's the overarching struggle. We get scenes of Jackie in Congress fighting this this battle in Congress. But then the there's the struggle on the on the minutia scale too that we get to see through these five characters, through Lil, Delang, Mags, Breeny, and Bishop. They fight every day against yes. this kind of discrimination from the from uh, Peterson, I believe, is their superior officer. Yes. He's the one who like they say he like weeds out people pretty much. Um, and they, there's just event after event that piles up, um, of these, 
just to just to give before I forget it, I want to go back to something you said about uh, the missions the wasps flew were target practice with yeah. uh, this ribbon behind them, yeah. and that's brought up in the play. They talk about it in one of the more tense moments. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, th- I think Mags talks about uh, how those women will like take the bullets out of the plane their planes that were hit mm-hmm. in target practice and wear them as necklaces as like trophies of of trying to conquer this thing um and that the running joke the the most frequently said joke over the the radio wires from the from the men who are doing the target practice is i see the target but what's that silk thing flying behind it so right. yep. it is you know, just constantly this 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 force against them. They talk about it being a fraternity or a boys' club almost of mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. Uh, different uh, and and things keep going wrong. Right? There's like what what are a couple of the scenes of of things that go wrong during flights for them? Right. Well, they the very first scene of the women in in their planes. Uh, is they're they're flying what's called under the hood, which is they they're supposed to be flying just with their instruments rather than being able to actually see anything, and and they they almost have a collision because one of the planes that is up in the air is known to have a faulty uh, I- instrument panel. The instrumentation is is flawed, and everybody on the ground knows that. But I mean, the men on the ground, sorry, the men on the ground know that, but they allow it to go up when the women fly it anyway. So that's that's one. And that same flight too, they've let the other pilot, uh, Delang, I believe, is flying that one, who is supposed to be flying her under the hood up at the same time. They let two planes oh, right. that should be. There shouldn't be two planes flying under the hood at the same time. Right. But they they accidentally, you know, in quotation marks, <laughs> yeah. um, let two planes up that are both flying blind and one of them, the instruments aren't even working on it. The gyroscope, I think is what they say, isn't even working on this on this plane. So they can't even they can't even fly the plane right. Mm-hmm. And it's only uh, kind of bishops, I think. Bishop is the one who who realizes it in kind of her own instincts. She's flying blind, right. but she almost like feels right. the uh, the other plane in the air and uh, reacts in time to get out of the way. Right. And um, I'm trying to think of the other. There's, there's another big one that has... Oh, well, it's Bishop again. Again, Bishop is kind of this through line of these uh, yep. not-so-microaggressions <laughs> that yes. happen to this group. Right. Um, of Because uh, she... Well, there's two. She tries... She's flying, right? The, so she, there's the one that she she hops the plane is the one I'm thinking right, of first. Right, right. She hop, hops the fence. And, um, and Peterson is angry with her about that. So when she has to do her flight with him, he 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 on purpose flips the plane while they're in the air, but he doesn't tell her he's going to do that. So she whacks her head and blacks out for a moment and ends up with a with a nosebleed and all of that. So it's it's a it's a purposeful. Um, I'm going to get you back, sort of sort of attitude. And yeah, and and in addition to that, afterwards he kind of gives her the the ultimatum of are you going to report this or not? Right. Um, you know, kind of learning the the army way of flying, I think is what they say mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. And um 
you know, basically, are you going to are you going to write this up on your report? Or are you going to give it an all clear? And right. there are repercussions for you right. if you don't give it an all clear. Right. Yeah, Jackson. Can I uh, insert here how brilliant I think I just I, I just love this script so much. How brilliant I think it is that Jenny has crafted this script that is. It's 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 a, about the 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 gender discrepancy between the men and the women doing this without being an in your face here let me tell you what to think and how to feel about this issue. It simply tracks what these women are going through and it and it honors the reader enough to be able to say there are nuances here, and and so what do the women do? Should they should they just fight all the time, or do they get? I mean, Bishop's not the only one that ends up signing something that says, "Yeah, it's all clear, it's all fine," because they know if they don't, they're the whole they're they're trying to save the wasp. Um, all, all of the wasps, and because if they make a stink at this moment, that's they know that's going to tank their chances in Congress. It ends up not mattering, of course. But but so so my my point is that they just the the nuances of it. It's not hard headed theme work. It's very it's very much tied to character and relationship in this particular play. And that's one of the many things I just love about it. I agree. The, 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 uh, kind of catalyst of that moment, uh, where, where they can't, they can't report this or else the press is going to go crazy, um, about it. Right. Like they're, they're, they're Mm -hmm. going to, they're going to show that, Oh, well, these people, these women clearly can't hack it. So they shouldn't be, um, in, in, included mm. into the military, so yeah, that 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 those stakes, along with just the, you know, just the kind of horror that you feel when you like you imagine yourself flying b- blind and you're put up in the air with instruments that don't work, mm-hmm. um, right? And and just so clearly a wrong was done, and yet the stakes are are so conflicting that that it makes it mm. really hard for them to even even tell someone about it. Um, as long as we're right there, uh, I wanted to bring up as well, just kind of, uh, this is, this is we, we like to talk about the uh, kind of the playwright's craft as well within this. And um, I wanted to ask you what you thought of the decision to leave uh, all of the, the antagonists for this play offstage and never seen. Um, yeah. I'm thinking specifically about Peterson, uh, the, the superior mm-hmm. officer and the congressman, the congressman is only ever voiced over, um, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how you do your production, Jacqueline or Jackie is probably could be visible in those scenes. The actress playing her, not just, it doesn't have to be just the screen or video, but, uh, but I don't believe that the congressman is ever shown. Um, so you have these, these, these male antagonistic characters never shown on stage. Some, uh, reviews that I've read critique it, others praise it. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on, on, on that choice. I really like it. Uh, I, I, hmm. I think it helps us. We we don't have to paint the antagonists as just evil people if they don't show up. 
we're not we're not tempted to play them as just evil people. I think we get more nuance because they're not there. Hmm, let me think about that. Is that true? I can imagine Peterson, but I'm only seeing him through the women's eyes. I think that might be part of the gift of the play that I only see Peterson through the women's eyes. And and so are they is I mean I don't like him. I think he's a jerk. <laughs> but is everything they're telling me about him accurate? Maybe I Maybe that, you know, allows me to, I, I, I just think I have to think more and, and a little bit better. So I, I like it, but I, I know that I, I am predisposed to really love mm. plays that are about relationship. And, and the women don't have a relationship with Peterson. There's no, the only relationship is a bad one. And, and he kind of represents, he, he, I I think he might represent everything that's sort of wrong with, or everything that's bad about their situation there. I think, I think you're right on there. The, the kind of, the, 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 the noticing that there's, there's no relationship between them. He's not even listening to them. He comes over the radio at one point and it's cl- it's clear the moment that he gets mad at Bishop about uh, hopping the fence. There's a lot of air air aviation words in this play, so definitely have your you know <laughs> side glossary open for that. Um, <laughs> Bishop stalls out as she's trying to take off, and uh, she has to. Uh, there's a fence coming, and she can't slow down. She's still going forward, but she can't get up in the air either. She's only a little ways off the ground. So to get over the fence and up into the air, she slams the plane into the ground using the rubber of the tires to hit the, hit off the ground and skip over the fence. And she's done it before in little prop planes and small stunt planes, but this is a heavy metal. Um, if you look it up, I forget the, uh, it's maybe the AT6 uh, if you're a plane junkie. Um, but uh, this is a heavy plane uh, uh, that she bounces over the fence and it was clearly an adaptation to a weather pattern. She would have hit the fence, and Peterson just won't hear it. He, he says it's a break of regulation, mm-hmm. and he's he proceeds to pull a really awful form of hazing punishment about it. And so I, I really like that 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 idea of this is a character who didn't even who there is no relationship with him. He didn't even didn't mm-hmm. listen. Wasn't you know, yeah. So so. It's not even worth the worth the time on stage, really. But it also, I also like where you're going with like the. It makes your mind work a little harder to to envision mm-hmm. this other. Um, if someone comes on stage and is just the, um, I don't know, the factory worker from Les Mis, mm-hmm. who is just you know uh, evil that you don't like him, <laughs> um, you you have to right. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you have to maybe sit in the in the messier versions of well, so clearly he was uh, an antagonistic force to them, right? While they were there, but uh, but you know, there's there's so much more that I don't know about this character still. And maybe it, this I don't know this this just occurred to me. Maybe the fact that the men who are the the two major and antagonists, the congressman and Peterson. The fact that they're off stage allows them to be more of an everyman 
character as well. They represent all of the discrimination that was happening at the time. Yeah, like the forces opposed. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I, I do want to get, we're, we're, we're getting along into the let's be sure to hit these, <laughs> you know, the hits portion of the show. Um, <laughs> so uh, I do want to get into that that last scene. Um, Bishop is uh, progresses quicker than the, than the rest of the group, and she is given her first solo flight uh, from... Uh, Texas. the The play takes place at uh, at an airbase in Texas. I'm spacing on the particular airbase right now. Avenger, not Avengers. It's something <laughs> like that, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that that airbase. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. Read the play. You'll find out. Um, <laughs> I'll find it. <laughs> um, but she's gonna fly from Texas to California solo for the for the first time, and uh, she gets into the plane, and again the plane starts to die on her. Um, her radio stops working. The engine starts to fail. She thinks the spark plugs are just clogged, but eventually the plane is going down. And uh, there's there's a little bit of a setup for this, kind of the, the voices uh, hmm. uh, element. Can you talk just a little bit about how Bishop brings up uh, the voices a, a pilot hears? Yeah. Or in an earlier scene, Bishop talks about how uh, Lindbergh uh, heard, says that he heard voices that... Uh, guided him to Paris in his monumental flight and that the voices uh, kept him sane, helped him navigate where he should, where he should be and, and where he should go. They, the women do talk about that. And, and we, we also are, are kind of set up for Bishop particularly, which you already noted this, Jackson, that she feels, she senses that there's another plane close to, to her. So there's that element of it too. But yeah, the, the fact that Lindbergh said that he, that voices guided him to Paris is, is one of the conversations that happens fairly early on. And then it's, it's, uh, so as this plane is, as, as everything is kind of falling apart with this plane that she's over, she's over the, uh, you know, the Arizona desert, the kind of mountains, the Sierra Nevadas Mm -hmm. of the, uh, the, the lower Western desert. And, um, she, the plane starts to go down, so she can't land it necessarily. She's in the mountains and the voices who who comes and kind of, uh, Mm -hmm. and, uh, supports her in that moment. Yeah. So Jackie comes, comes in. Uh, not literally, but figurative. I mean, it. She's she's a sort of hallucination. She's the voice that Bishop begins to hear, and Jackie's voice is trying to tell her to do what her instincts tell her to do, which is land the plane. Now, Bishop's um, peers in the Wasp um, section that she's in all know that Bishop could land a plane. They, they talk about this at the, the end. Bishop could land a plane on a dime. Jackie tells Bishop to land the plane. She knows she's in trouble. Land the plane. Bishop, I find this fascinating. Bishop does not land the plane. She follows protocol for his, what is probably the first time in her <laughs> life there. <laughs> She follows protocol and says, "No, no, I'm. This is this is what this is what we're supposed to do. So I'm going to do what we're supposed to do." She wants to succeed at this so badly, 
And if she lands it, she's not going to get another chance. She's and she she won't have made it all the way through all of the all of the the training that she needs to go through. As far as the military is concerned, she'll just be out. So she is following protocol, and because she follows protocol, she 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 jumps. And um, so Jackie, she Jackie is with her. Then we we see her on the ground, hurt, and Jackie with her. I don't know where where do you want to go from there, Jackson? Yeah, well, it's just this uh, this this really beautiful. It's a really beautiful scene of this, uh, you know, Jackie so far is only ever portrayed as this, um, this, this individual, this person who is always on point, right? She is always, um, Mm -hmm. very scripted, uh, on the, on the different video announcements or very poised when she is, uh, counter arguing the, the congressman in, 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 in Congress who is, who is having the vote, um, this scene I imagine to be a pretty holy scene where this, um, you know, kind of spirit of Jackie Cochran, um, shows up for Bishop in this scene. And I, and I wanted to ask, especially given that you've directed this play and have actually seen it produced, how you treated that moment. Cause it's, it's a, it's a kind of a weird, um, spiritual moment in a way. And at least in my head, the, the moment at the very end with Bishop, you are, are we ta- talking about? Well, that one too. We should definitely get to that one. Um, but more the scene where, especially once Bishop crashes. With the tangerine? Yeah, with the tangerine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I When we did it, I, I made sure that Bishop wasn't actually looking at, at Jackie. Um, at least not... Not unless it was it was we were making a statement, so so that we knew that Jackie wasn't actually there in in true. Well, Bishop's lines give us that all all along though. She says, "Here, I'd give you a drink, but you're not really there." I mean, she you know, <laughs> right. Bishop ac- acknowledges that. Um, yeah, it it's it's this profound moment. I I, I just found it to be profound. Jackie leads Bishop to, she sort of helps her die. I don't think that's Hmm. a stretch. She helps her die. A little spoiler alert here. Um, Yeah. And and she, this tangerine appears, which is part of Bishop's backstory. And then we learn at the very end of the play what, what happened to Bishop as a child. And, and that helps us know a little bit more why she is the woman that she is. And it involves a simple tangerine. See, again, I just think that's brilliant. It's a tangerine. Yeah. And we, sm- we can smell it ourselves. We, everybody in the audience knows what a tangerine feels like, tastes like, smells like. And so we, we viscerally feel this particular moment. And um, I don't. I think I'm going afield from your actual question, but I, I find the the moment just profound. Yeah, I absolutely agree. The moment the tent. So she she's kind of uh, talking to Jackie about childhood moments. We kind of fully real. Or I'm sorry, Jackie is talking to Bishop about childhood moments, 
and um, referring back to this time when her aunt gave her a tangerine. And it's at this moment that we begin to really worry for Jackie. Um, aside, um, focus uh, shifts on stage from side to side. So while Bishop is crashing, her friends back at the hangar are all marshalling a rescue force, right? The mm-hmm. stakes are, we know Bishop went down. We don't know where. No one's going to help her. We're going to steal a plane mm-hmm. and go find her. <laughs> so the whole time we're wondering, are they going to make it there in time? Is Bishop okay? Bishop uh, jumps out of the plane. She parachutes out of the plane, hits the mountainside apparently, and takes a tumble and the line we get is, I can't move, why can't I move, from mm-hmm. Bishop as she's lying there. So we know it's bad, and we know that time is running out for them to get there and save her. And mm-hmm. um, through the course of it, then, uh, there's a couple scenes back and forth, but then this scene happens with the tangerine. Jackie pulls out a tangerine and tells a story about her aunt, uh, Bishop's aunt, and a time that she gave her the tangerine. And I so agree with you that the simple... The simplicity of something so striking as a tangerine, right? It's bright orange Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on stage and it's weird. It's a little small thing, but everyone knows exactly that kind of citrusy, Mm -hmm. um, uh, aromatic almost. Mm -hmm. And and boom, you are now Bishop because Mm -hmm. Bishop is is thinking about, about those senses the same as you are in the audience. I think it's interesting too, the, the, the helps her die is, is a really, it's a tough scene, right? Like she's mm-hmm. lying on the side of a mountain and mm-hmm. ultimately, uh, and of anyone, I wouldn't expect her to be the one to die. <laughs> I know, right? Of any of the five of them. Yes. Well, and Jackie says, when, when Jackie kind of disappears, her last line is, they're coming for you. Mm. So you don't, yeah. you, so we, we hope that they're coming in time, but then we find out very, very you know, immediately after that, that um, they didn't get there in in time, and and so that line itself then carries this other meaning that I think carries us into the very last moment of Bishop having family, because Bishop does not have any family, mm-hmm. any blood fam- family, but these women are her family. And so for Jackie's last line to her to be, they're coming for you, meaning even, even in death, you are not going to be alone. You, you are, you're going to be taken care of the, you know, the desert's not going to get you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful, beautiful imagery at the end. And yeah, that's the, it's. There is, uh, I think we'll leave the specifics of the final scene, the final moments for, yes, uh, right. for when you read it. But yeah, the, the, the kind of return to family for Bishop at the end is something you all can look forward to when you read it. We are getting along towards the end again. I did want to ask you uh, a, speci- a, a big question for me as I consider, you know, putting on this play or, you know, dreaming of directing or, or being a part of this play. One of the big things for me is how, do you, how d- would a director handle flight on stage? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about that struggle and how you maybe addressed it in the production that you did? Oh, I would love to. I I want to do the play again and do it differently. <laughs> we <laughs> because you're you're right. That is a very difficult thing. What kind of what do we do to indicate flight there? 
And this, when I, I did, it was long enough ago when we didn't have, we didn't have access to the fabulous projections that we have access to now. Um, so the women, I, I actually double cast this. So I had two casts of, of women doing it. We have a, a, um, a small, we, we have a small airport here in Orange City where the college is. And I, I had all of the women go up in small planes and, and talk to pilots, uh, knowing full well that those planes were not the same kinds of planes, but just to have the experience. What does it feel like to be in a cockpit like that, a small, a small space? Um, uh, what, what do the, what does the instrument panel even look like? I mean, there's no, it's way out of everybody's comfort zone. So, um, that was a piece of what we did. And then we just asked the audience to go with us. We, once they had an idea of how they were going to drive, if you will, the thing, fly the thing with where their hands needed to be, what that would feel like, then we just asked the audience to go with us. We let the lights do a lot of it. And we didn't try to, and, and sound, we had, you know, sound that helped, helped with, with all, all of it because the sound is actually a very important part of the, of the, the script. Yeah. So we just asked the audience to come with us. I didn't try to do any, any, I don't know, you know, a special movement on the part of the actors, particularly just ask the audience that because the lines help, you know, what they're doing, how hard it is, or, you know, the lines are, very, are pretty specific. So you just ask the audience to come along with. Yeah. And then, so, so that I'm curious, what would you, if you had another shot at it, what would you have changed? Yeah, I, I would, um, I, I think the rehearsal time wasn't long enough for two casts, two full blown casts to wrap their brains around it. Um, I, I had two phenomenal casts, and uh, this was one of my all-time favorite projects. So this is not anything about the the actors themselves. It's just you know educational theater. You don't have a long time, and I think two full-blown casts made their time too uh, limited. So I would do it with one cast probably, but also I would do it with and and now I'm equipped with um, projections. I would I would use them much more much more fully. I think and I think that would maybe help. Well, if you ever want a sound designer for when you do it next time, you should let me know. Okay, you're on. <laughs> you're yeah. you're totally on, Jackson. Well, there's there's so much more in this play that we could talk about. Lots of big themes. Uh, we barely talked about uh, Delang at all. She is a, a beautiful. Oh. Oh. Uh, has such a such a rich. Um, rich moments of character where she kind of comes into the scene and stops every, she's quiet most of the play but stops everyone mm -hmm. in the in a couple of moments um and just mm -hmm. and and really I think we did hit this pretty well but it is all about these five women and their interactions with each mm -hmm. other yeah it it really is and they each have moments i i would i recommend this script to women who are looking for good monologues they because they m most of them have these pieces of monologues that that are 
profound and and you know without being pushy or or uh, shoving some theme down your throat, just an experience. It's a story. Each kind of each each one of them. So yeah, the relationships, the characters are just so rich, and and good. <laughs> oh man, I could talk about this play for so much longer. There's so much more. It really is beautiful. I when I read it again last night, I. I thought, man, I, why aren't people doing this script? Why? <laughs> I, I just think it's beautiful. Yeah. It's about being a human being. It's, I mean, it's not, I, I well, but Jenny's style of writing is, is my, I mean, I, I really resonate with it. And I know a lot of people would, would have prefer, would prefer a more, you know, theme driven or plot driven or whatever. But man, the relationships are just rich. And it's just so much, I can envision so many of the cool, like the, the flight scenes and, and, you know, the back and forth between the two of them. I can just picture so much like really, like a really great challenges for, mm -hmm. for designers. And then, you know, to have five, six really, really strong uh, female yeah. roles within, within one script yeah. is fantastic. And I know, right. That's how Jenny, you know, her ballad hunters like that. There's five characters, three strong female roles. So, Jackson, I can't find where to buy this script. Like, if we're asking, if we're telling people, read this script, they can't go on Amazon and get it. So, can I tell them about the the agency? Is this good? Yes, please go for it. Um, the Sus it's the Susan German. G-U-R-M-A-N agency that owns the rights to this script. And so that's where you can, and you can find that online. It's, you know, germanagency.com. And um, that's, that's where you can get the script and permission to perform it. I highly recommend it. And guess what, Jackson? It is Avenger Field. You were right. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, great. We will absolutely link to uh, that below. If you want to pick up the script, uh, you can find it in the link to the podcast here or the, or the description of the podcast here. And uh, after you've read it, if you want to take a minute and continue the conversation with us, I'm sure there are things that we that we uh, uh, left out of this. And if you caught in and want to have the conversation, please absolutely hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at No Script Podcast or email at no, uh, noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, reading plays can be a lonely endeavor, and we, we absolutely want to continue the conversation with you after this. And uh, if you enjoy conversations like this, uh, we are on Spotify now. We are on iTunes. We are on uh, Podbean, the, the hosting site itself. So you can find us all through there and we would really appreciate it. If you like what we do, if you want to hear more of it, please uh, leave a review for us. It absolutely helps us get in front of more eyes. So uh, thank you in advance for that. Karen, thank you so much for joining me on this script this week. I loved it. Thank you so much, Jackson. <laughs> absolutely. I, I hope you join us again for a, a, another play in the future. Absolutely. Until next time, when Jacob Mann Christian Christianson will be joining me again, I am Jackson Nikolai. This is No Script the Podcast. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>